0: And today, we're, we're beginning a new sermon series called The Game of Life. We're looking at the areas of work and rest and play and health. And we want to begin by looking at what does it mean to live, to truly live? You see, I think that sometimes we think that life is pure chance, that it just happens and we just deal with it. But actually, I think there's more to it than that. I think much like those games that require skill and strategy, sometimes you, you just have to deal with the hand that's dealt with you and make the most of it in the midst of difficult circumstances sometimes and still seek to be someone who is seeking to play the game, if you will. Now, many people have pondered this question of what does it mean to live, to truly live. So I want to begin with a little bit of a game. It's a, it's a life quiz. And if you uh, let me know if you think you know the answer. Which movie character said this? My mom always said life was like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Boris Boris Gump. Which female movie star said the most important thing is to enjoy your life, to be happy? It's all that matters. A little trickier, this one. She's an older movie star. Audrey Hepburn, who said that? Well done. Good job. Audrey Hepburn. Yep, she said that. Um, The most important thing in life is to enjoy it, to be happy. Which 19th century U.S. president said, in the end, it's not the years in your life that count, it's the life in your years? Any ideas? Say again? No, 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 a little earlier. No, 19th century. Lincoln. Supposedly Lincoln. Apparently that possibly isn't true that someone else may have said that, but apparently that was Lincoln. (laughs) What's that? All right. Which nineteenth-century Irish poet and playwright said this? "To live is the rarest thing in the world. Most people exist. That is all." Which nineteenth-century Irish poet and playwright? Any guesses? Mm. Not Joyce, no. Oscar Wilde said that one. Yeah. "To live is the rarest thing in the world. Most people exist. That is all." All right, which 20th century, coming a little closer to our time, 20th century and 21st century as well, tech entrepreneur said this, your time is limited, so don't waste it living someone else's life. Steve Jobs, yeah, your time is limited, so don't waste it living someone else's life. And then lastly, which 19th century US author, and he was also called the father of American literature, said this? The two most important days in your life are the day you are born and the day you find out why. Any guesses? Mark Twain. Thank you, Kurt. Well done. Kurt, it's great to have on your trivia quiz team, by the way, as I've discovered with my life group. (laughs) We always do better when Kurt's there. All right. So lots of different ideas about what life is about from the world. And, you know, I think for most people, and you get a sense of this in some of those quotes, to live life to the full is to cram as many experiences into your life as possible. You've just got to cram it full with all kinds of different things. So whether that's extreme sports, you go to the most extreme sports. or so whether that's eating at the finest restaurants or going on the best vacations, whatever it might be, you cram your life full of experiences into what's probably an already packed schedule. And perhaps that's why we end up being so busy all the time. We're trying to make the most of life as we think the world would have us do it. But in fact, we miss the point because Jesus says he is life itself. Jesus is life. It's not just that he promises life. He actually is life. And he promises a life of peace and rest. Today, I want to argue that life to the full is found in Jesus Christ alone. Nothing else. It's found in Jesus Christ alone. So let's turn to our gospel reading for today. It's from John chapter 10, one of my favorite passages in scripture. John 10, verses seven through 11. You can find it at the bottom of your uh, scripture insert. And the context for our reading is that Jesus is teaching the Jewish, Christian, uh, the Jewish religious leaders, the Pharisees. They've uh, questioned this one man about why he's blind. Uh, and then Jesus heals this man. And then they decide that actually Jesus must be a man who's bad because he's done this on the Sabbath. And they just don't understand what's going on here. And in fact, they are perverting the course of life itself through their teaching. And Jesus is challenging their poor leadership. That's what he's doing. And so then in chapter 10, verses 1 through 6, just before this, he gives them the parable of the good shepherd. He speaks about this Good shepherd is the one who leads well, who brings life, and so on. And what he's doing there is he's actually challenging the notion of false shepherds, false shepherds who have misled the people of Israel. We see this in Ezekiel chapter 34 in the Old Testament. You see, in the Bible, the ideal leader or king is seen as a shepherd. It's an interesting uh, analogy, isn't it? Typically, we think of the ideal leader or king as being the strong leader, and yet in Scripture, it comes to be a shepherd. And perhaps this is due to King David himself, who was seen as the best king Israel ever had. Of course, David himself was a shepherd boy. Maybe it's because of that. So we get to verse 7, and Jesus continues like this. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Whenever we hear Jesus say, truly, truly, it literally means, amen, amen. And it's said 25 times in the Gospel of John, and it clearly means that he's about to say something important. R. C. Sproul said this: "Whenever we read in the text of Scripture, our Lord giving a statement that is prefaced by the Double Amen, it is time to pay close attention." It's a bit like those moments when you're driving in the car and you're listening to the radio and you hear this arr, arr. Remember that, right? It's the test signal. Typically, it's not normally a real warning, but it's the emergency alert system that comes on, and you know you miss that really important part in your favorite show or that that part of the song you really wanted to hear. But what they're saying is, it's time to listen up, friends. What is about to be said is really important. Jesus is doing that right now with truly, truly. And he says, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. You see, not only is he the good shepherd that he's just spoken about in this parable, the one who will lead them well, he is the very door or the gate of the sheep. You see, the shepherd often would stand in the gateway. He might literally be the gate to the cave or the enclosure that the sheep would come in and out of. He would be the one standing there, standing guard, letting the sheep in or out uh, as they came back in. And much like in John 14, verse 6, where he says, I am the way, and I am the truth, and I am the life, he's saying there's only one way into the kingdom of heaven, and that's through me. He is the door. Well, next we see that not everyone's on board with this. Verse 8, he says, all who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. Now, who are these thieves and robbers that he's speaking about? Well, I think given the context of our story, he's speaking to the Pharisees, right? He's talking about the religious leaders in particular, the people of Israel who have misled them. He's also talking perhaps about the false prophets who've come before, the people who claim to be the Messiah as well who've come before him. He's talking about all these people and all the empty promises they have made. They have promised life. They've promised life and yet what they've really offered is a pale imitation of life. It's a bit like the people sometimes who come perhaps to your door and they offer you, you know, a chance to make a ton of money. Like, you know, if you just follow this get-rich plan, then you will be as wealthy as I am, right? On our vacation, we, were, uh, we set off, you know, and you set off and you think, as a dad, anyway, maybe this is true for moms too, but for dads, you think, how far can I get before we have to stop to go to the bathroom? Right, Dads? All right, like maybe we can get three hours. Some dad was proudly boasting to me the other day that he got six hours with his kids before they used the bathroom. Couldn't believe it, but that's what he said. Well, an hour into the journey, one of my kids is, uh, I need the bathroom, dad. I'm like, okay, okay. So we pull off and there's, you know, there's no rest area. We pull off and we find this pilot gas station. And, you know, you just think, all right, well, just quick, quick trip, go on in, go use the bathroom, come back out. Well, of course, my, my son goes in and he comes back out and he's, dad, dad, I want some of my money. Because I said I'd give him some vacation spending money. I said, okay, what for? He said, well, there's this machine in there, and if you put a dollar in, there's like a, a little thing where you have to drop a cube into a circle or a triangle, and you can win a Nintendo Switch, all right? Now, he's been saving for a Nintendo Switch. He's saved 60 bucks towards this, all right? He really wants one, but now he's got a shortcut, okay? Because if he can just put a dollar in, he's going to win this thing. And he's going to win, trust me. He's got no, no, you know, he's not worried about losing, So he puts in a dollar, and guess what happens? Doesn't win, right? (laughs) He puts in another dollar. Guess what happens? He doesn't win, right? He comes back. He wants some more money. No, no, no. We got to get going. We got to press on, okay? Because I'm all about getting to the destination, not stopping along the way. And so we press on. But what's he thinking about for the next 11 days? We got to stop with that pilot on the way home. (laughs) We got to find the same pilot just so I can get this Nintendo Switch. And he even saves $12 of his $25 of holiday spending money just so he can spend it at that place. So we're driving back, right? And uh, I see a sign for Pilot, and uh, it's, it's with a, a Wendy's. And I think, no, it was with an Arby's. So I drive on by, and he's like, Dad, that was the one. I'm like, oh, no. I'm like, well, we're not turning around. And he starts to make a fuss, okay? So Melissa and I are just looking at each other. and we go, well, you know what? I think it's worth the 10 minutes of our journey to teach him this lesson that these things are rigged, okay? You're about to waste $12 of your money. We said you could save it towards the Switch. So we turn around, we do a U-turn, we come back, we take that 10 minutes, we get $12 in cash, dollar bills from the, the checkout clerk there, and we go up to the machine and we feed in dollar by dollar by dollar by dollar, getting down to the last one. Dollar goes in. Do you think he wins? No, does not win the Nintendo Switch. Promised so much, didn't it? Promised so much, and yet it failed to deliver. Because it was rigged against him. All of these different promises that we hear in our lives are rigged against us, friends. They're not set up for us to, to win, if you will. These people who deliver these promises, it's really about them and their needs. And the same was true for the Israelites, the religious leaders, the false prophets, the Messiahs. These people were not offering them life, they were seeking to advance their own agenda. Well, who are the sheep? They're those who listen to God. Much as we were trying to encourage Caleb to listen to us, to hear our voice, he could not hear them for all his wants and desires he wanted that he wanted fulfilled. But the sheep are the ones who listen to God, and they're the ones who follow Jesus. They hear his voice, and they choose to respond and to follow him. It's as simple as that. And there are good results to this. Look at verse 9. He says, I am the door. He's repeating that point again, isn't it? If anyone enters by me, he'll be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Jesus reiterates that he's not just the shepherd, but he is the very entrance to life, the only entrance to true life. And those who enter by him will receive two incredible blessings. Number one, they will receive salvation, friends. They will be delivered from danger and death itself, something that a sheep would have faced every single day of its life. And yet this good shepherd will save them. It's good news. Secondly, he'll offer them security and nurture as well. Not just due to the enclosure that they'll be penned in by. No, 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 because they go out as well. Notice that. They go in and out. No, it's because of their proximity to the good shepherd. He goes with them. When they go out. He doesn't leave them to fend for themselves. This is good news. When we stay close to the good shepherd, the one who loves us, then we are kept safe from harm. Kept safe from harm. And do note that the sheep go in and out. I'm not sure quite on this, but I wonder if it's a call to live this new life in the world, not to hide away. In uh, the enclosed pasture, the safety net, perhaps of just being amongst our Christian friends and so on. There's a call to live out in the world knowing that we go with Jesus himself. We come to verse 10, perhaps one of the most famous verses in Scripture says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. I think Jesus is teaching us a couple of things here. How do we know if something is not of God? Well, does it uh, steal, kill, or destroy? Does it steal, kill, or destroy? Does it steal joy, right? Does it kill perhaps a relationship? Does it destroy maybe something good in your life? It's probably not of God, friends. Probably not of God. Whatever it might be that you're being tempted to do, it's probably not of him. You see, Jesus promises life abundant, or life to the full. He's not seeking to steal, kill, or destroy. No, he's offering the eternal life of his kingdom beginning right here, right now, today in this place. And it's glimpsed briefly in Eden, isn't it? We see that at the beginning with Adam and Eve. They're living in this incredible place, this beautiful place with this wonderful purpose to life and so on. And then they just have to reach out and try and take control for themselves. They think there's got to be more to this life. Think about it. Who's the thief there? It's the serpent, right? He's offering them seemingly something better. And yet, it's not, is it? And then we see it in a vision in Revelation as well. This life abundant, it's good. It's the life which we were created for. It's why we long for more than this because we know that, yes, we can live the abundant life now, but so much of this life is not how things were meant to be. So we have this yearning deep within our hearts for something more. We want more than a life filled with experiences or success or fame or money, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, what the world has to offer. And we want more than the false claims of prosperity in this life that the church sometimes offers, saying, if you follow Jesus, everything's going to be great. Don't worry. It's all good. You'll have money. You'll have... Again, similar to the claims of the world. We want more than that. And what is this life to the full that we're yearning for? Well, I think it's, it's a life of contrast. It's a life of contentment versus covetousness. First of all, a life of contentment, being content with what God has given us. Think of how many things have been stolen or killed or destroyed because we were longing after things that were not ours to have. It's a life of faith and trust versus fear and anxiety. One of the great things that steals joy is fear and anxiety. God longs for us to trust him, to put our faith in him, to walk closely with him, the good shepherd, each day not worrying about tomorrow, what tomorrow will bring, but trusting that he's got it, friends. It's also a life of walking closely with the Lord. We were not meant to walk this life on our own. Number one, we're meant to walk with the Lord. It's not a solo life where I go, I've got this, God. Don't you worry. It's also a life of healthy self-love versus poor Self-image or ego, perhaps. Healthy self-love, having a right idea of who I am and whose I am in God's eyes, that I'm a dearly loved child of his, walking freely as his and his alone. It's not that, uh, that I'm the one who's in charge. No, that's not the case. And I'm not the best thing there is in the world either, okay? It's that I am his and I am loved by him. And it's a life of love as well versus a life of likes. You know what I mean? It's a life of love versus a life of likes. It's very easy to click a like on Facebook, right? I always kind of judge it. Should I do a like? Shouldn't I do a like? And normally I'm like, if they've got 100 likes, I'm not going to bother. If they've got three likes, maybe I'll bother so they feel better about themselves. That's kind of how I judge this, right? A life of love, which means sacrificial involvement, getting beyond social media and getting into people's lives. And loving them well, friends. Costly. You and I are called into costly community. And that's hard. Don't be someone who's constantly distancing yourself from others, particularly in the body of the Christ. If you don't know other people in this room, then I have a concern for you. Why is that? Why do you distance yourself? Get to know know others and be known by them. That's what Jesus is calling you into in this life to the full. It's also a life of worship versus pride. It's saying, God, you are so good and so great. And not having yourself on the throne, but putting him on the throne. It's a life of generosity versus greed. It's a life of saying, everything I have is God's. I need to give away as much of it as I possibly can. Just give it away. Give it away. Don't hoard for myself. Give away. Share with others what he's given to me. It's a life of grace versus perfectionism. You know, that's a struggle, isn't it, for many of us. We want things to be perfect in our own eyes. Yet God says over and over again, I've got grace for you. Because when we're perfectionists, we fail, right? We fail over and over again. The good news is Jesus says, I have grace for you. I have grace for you. Fill your life with my grace. It's a life of forgiveness. Versus bitterness, being willing to say, I forgive you. I don't hold that grudge against you. I forgive you. I let go of this thing that I could perhaps rightly hold on to. But I forgive because Christ has first forgiven me. And it's a life of obedience versus experience. The world says experience as much as you possibly can. And experiences aren't bad, my Uh, friends. I had some great experiences on our vacation. But ultimately, I'm called to obey to a life of obedience, trusting him and following him and living out his plan for me. And friends, it's so much more. It's so much more than even all of this. But it's not something that we can achieve through our own willpower, which brings us to the final verse, the cross. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. You know, for all of this to happen, for all these good things we've talked about, to be able to happen The good shepherd has to suffer. You see, in first century Palestine, being a shepherd was a particularly dangerous job. It was a dangerous job, not something that was easy or easily done. And Jesus here is predicting his death on the cross and how he's going to save his sheep. Right? He's saying, I'm willing to lay down my life even on the cross. And we only get to live, to truly live, friends, because one man died. The God-man himself died on the cross, the perfect sacrifice. We cannot save ourselves, and so he saves us. The good shepherd goes to the cross. We are prone to wander, and therefore we're lost without him. And yet he chooses to save us. The cross and resurrection of Jesus make the way for us so that we can know this life to the full. And the great paradox of the Christian life is that in order to live, we too must die. In order to live, we too must die. Did you notice our reading from Galatians? For through the law, I died to the law. This is Paul speaking, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus dies and he calls us to die too. Come and die to yourselves. Take up your cross and follow me in order that you might have life, the life abundant. As we come to a close, I wonder if you've heard the voice of the Good Shepherd. Have you heard his voice speak to you? Or do you just hear the thieves and the robbers drowning it out perhaps? You know, he speaks today. He still speaks. He speaks through his word. He has spoken today to us by his word. He speaks through people, through those in our lives that we allow to enter in, other Christians that we allow to speak in our lives, whether in our life groups or beyond. He speaks through prayer. He speaks often in that still, quiet place. That's why it's so important that we find that still, quiet place each and every day. He speaks also through circumstances, if we're willing to listen and to look. We need to learn to discern them. Learn to discern, is it his voice or not? And wonder what might be drowning out his voice for you today. Is it busyness, being too busy? Is it laziness, just I can't be bothered to listen? Is it apathy? I'm just not even sure he speaks, so I'm not gonna bother. Is it perhaps an inability? I don't know how to listen. Then reach out and learn. And we have to be wary of the thieves and robbers that would seek to mislead, whether they're religious or political leaders, whether they're advertisers or entertainers, whether they're educators or good communicators. Anyone that would offer life through anything apart from Jesus Christ is actually offering a pale imitation, be it via money or experience, be it via education or sports, entertainment, food, drink, substances, sex, success, whatever it might be, even though many of those things are good things, if they get raised above Jesus Christ himself, then they miss the point and that will fall flat on its face. This week, I want to encourage you, friends, choose life over a pale imitation. forevermore. See this is much more than a game and it's certainly not all down to chance. The Lord walks with us and he shows us the very path of life itself. Let us pray. Come Holy Spirit. We long for you to lead us and to guide us. Lord, would you speak to us today? Would you help us to hear your voice? You help us to discern the way of life rather than the way of death. Lord, we choose life to the full, life in abundance. Help us to live for you, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.